Good evening. How are we doing tonight? Good. Uh, my name is Greg Tonkinson. It's, it, it is an honor to be here. Uh, this was a regular occurrence for me back in the day, and uh, it's so good, good to be back. I know Lynn uh, would appreciate your prayers over in Israel, um, and, uh, and so we need to be about that business. Um, is this incredible that you can play guitar and play the drums at the same time? Is anyone impressed by that? I'd pay money to see this. So, thanks, David. Um, take your Bibles, turn to Romans 10. My understanding is that that's where you left off. Um, why am I up here? And uh, credibility-wise, uh, that's a great question. Um, I do teach. I teach the Bible. I teach theology at Valley Christian High School. Um, Father of five, husband to one. I don't know what else I could tell you. I got two dogs. Um, I love God's word, and I think you do too. I know that's why you're here. It's been a long day, I think, for all of us. And so the fact that we're all here wanting to study God's word really says a lot. Um, Lynn left off, I believe, in chapter 10, verse 7 or 8 or so, and so we'll pick it up there. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll jump in here. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thanks for the way that you have delivered it to man uh, miraculously, how it has survived over the centuries amidst much persecution. God, thank you that um, the word is relevant and applicable to our lives. We don't read it as a textbook or a history book or a, uh, a book of information. We read it because we want to know our king, our God, and we want to know... Um, how to live the best life possible that will please you. So God, please teach us tonight. Allow us to understand just a little bit more of who you are and what our role is, what, what our role is in this unfolding story of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let, uh, let me start, I guess, by this. Romans is a... You guys having a good time in Romans? It's been, been pretty rich. Boy, there's a book to live or die in. I've heard many people ask the question, either at Bible studies or at dinner groups, if you could only keep one book of the Bible, if you could only have one book of the Bible, which would your book be? And time and time again, it keeps coming back to Romans. I would keep Romans. I want to live or die in Romans. God granted us with 65 other books. But boy, there's stuff in here that I think... Um, causes us, it causes me anyway, uh, much angst. It causes me much, um, much time on my knees asking God how, why, uh, how does it all fit together? It causes me much time in celebration and in praise, thanking God for who he is and what he's done, uh, despite of me, um, or in spite of me. It causes me great hope as we see the beginning and the end, we see the first Adam and second Adam. We come to a passage tonight where we have great responsibility, and I enjoy that. I enjoy God giving us assignments. I enjoy giving Him giving me a task. Uh, it gives me reason to get up in the morning. I uh, was listening to the podcast as of late, and uh, I'm so glad you got through nine. Um, I will say this, and, and this is the great thing about God's word, honestly, guys, is um, uh, observation, interpretation, application. 
we observe, we interpret, and we apply. And I think if you and I as students of God's word can do that, if we can do that faithfully, if we can do that as objectively as we can, knowing that we approach this with biases from upbringings, from education, from family matters, from denominations, I think God is pleased with that. With that said, it's a great book and it's a great thing to be a part of the body of Christ because we can agree on things and we can disagree on things. And that's a beautiful thing, as long as it doesn't divide the body. Um, I know some religions don't allow you to do that. That the minute you call something into question or ask for some fact-checking or raise your hand, uh, that's considered shameful. Uh, borderline excommunication worthy in some religions. Well, that's not here. Here's a place where we can ask questions. And we can challenge one another. And, and I hope that the challenging drives us further into the word, not away from the word. I hope it drives us into God's word. I was listening to Lynn talk on Romans 9. Uh, I have a different opinion about Romans 9. Isn't that funny? Um, and that's a good thing. I think that's healthy. The reason I share that isn't to create controversy. It's simply to suggest this. I believe, as Lynn said, that... Uh, Paul is writing in such a way where he's building a case, uh, as a lawyer would. And so the case he's building, of course, is to the Jews in, in this particular section. And he's really condemning them, is he not? And he's asking them, why are you continuing to live by the law when we have the righteousness of Christ we can now live by? I guess where Lynn and I differ is... Um, I do take this as a salvation passage. I'm sorry, I guess, um, on some levels and not on others. Um, and I do think that this is uh, speaking to God's sovereignty. Um, and I say that because for me, when I read it that way, for me, it sets up Romans 10 for me. So I share that because when we get into Romans 10, I need you to be set up into Romans 10 from Romans 9. Does that make sense? I don't want you to go into Romans 10 autonomously handling Romans 10 without whatever you land on in Romans 9 launching you into Romans 10. I think, and I think Lynn would agree with this, I think Romans 9, 10, and 11 are this interjection that God gives from 5 to, well, 5 to 6, 7, and 8 really, and then he picks it back up in 12. But we have this interjection in 9, 10, and 11, and I think those three chapters, Paul builds a case in chapter 9, carries it over to chapter 10, carries it over to chapter 11. So I say that just because I, I look at chapter 10 through the eyes of chapter 9, if that makes sense. So, so, so I need you to look at 10 through those lenses as well. Um, so wherever you land on 9, okay, wherever you land on Romans 9, I think we can all agree on one thing, and that is God is sovereign. That God's a sovereign God. In fact, Take your Bibles and let me just set up Romans 10. Uh, and isn't Romans 10 just, I don't know if you've got some time to read it ahead of time, but it's a fascinating, applicable chapter. Lots of verses that you would want to put on your wall in Romans, uh, on, in your living room wall in Romans 10. Um, for instance, uh, we have this. There we go. Right? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's a nine. I love this one. 
Uh, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I love this one, the next verse. How can they call upon him um, unless they believe in him? Excuse me, and how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear unless someone tells them? Romans ten fifteen. how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In Romans ten seventeen. so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a, it's a wonderful chapter. And you can see, I hope, by that chapter that there's a job for us to do. There's work to be done here, guys, this side of heaven. I want to balance that, I guess, with who is giving us the assignment and why he's giving us the assignment. And so take your Bibles. um, Go with me. Let's go to John chapter 19. Go to John chapter 19. And I want to set this up. Uh, and, and I guess, again, I set it up just to frame the discussion tonight as we get into Romans 10 as to why I do what I do. And if you have questions, we have some great mic runners back there. Raise your hand and we'll, we'll chat a bit. Ro, uh, John chapter 19. Let's look at verse 11. Jesus says this. Jesus answered Pilate, right? Jesus answered Pilate and he says this. He says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. So, who gave Pilate authority? God gave Pilate the authority. So, keep that in mind, okay? Go to Psalm, bounce over to the Old Testament. Let's go to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. Psalm 135, verse 8. David says this. David says, God, he smote killed the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast. Thanks, David. God killed the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast. Okay, hang on to that thought. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, please. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Back in the, way back in the Old Testament. Joshua uh, judges Ruth. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, look at verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 2, and let's pick it up in verse 6. Samuel writes this, he says, uh, and this is Hannah's prayer, song of praise, right? And she says this, she says, The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor for the pillows of the earth are the Lord's. He set the world on them. Go to John chapter 6, please. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and let's pick it up in 
36. John chapter 6, starting in 36. John, uh, Jesus says this, he says, John 6, 36, But the witness which I have is greater than that of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And this is, this is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have eternal life. I don't receive glory from men, but I do know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my father's name. And if you do not receive me, if another shall come in his own name, he will, you will receive him. How can you believe? That's chapter five. Okay. So whenever I do that, I need someone to shout out. Hey, knucklehead. Hey. Yeah, yeah. are you guys thinking I'm, you know, well, maybe he's going to get it sooner or later. Uh, here we go, chapter 636. But I said to you, Jesus said, that you have seen me and yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that all he has given me, I lose nothing and raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Okay. Now you take all those passages, some in the old Testament, some in the new Testament. And if you put them all together in some blender, what comes out? What's the conclusion we can draw fairly objectively? God is sovereign. God does what he wants. And here's the reality, guys. He doesn't ask your opinion. In fact, I think the reason he does that is because we'd screw it up. Do you believe that God has a plan? Do you believe he will accomplish that plan? Do you believe he will accomplish that plan with or without you? Do you believe he created that plan before you came along? Do you believe he's waiting for you to do something before he accomplishes that plan? It's an amazing God we worship. And in some ways, guys, I'm so glad that God set things into motion and set his plan forth without my offering my help. Because now I get to go along and trust him in his plan, especially when that plan doesn't fit my needs or my wants or my desires. And so when we come up against times where we're questioning God's plan, who loses? We do. Because God in his grace and in his mercy and in his patience, yet in his plan says, I'm still going forth, Greg. I know you don't understand it. And guess what, Greg? I'm okay with that. I'm not bothered that you're confused. In fact, I'd be bothered if you said you weren't confused. So the fact that you're confused about how things are going to work out for my glory, I'm okay with that. 
So sometimes I think when we read scripture, guys, I don't think it has to make complete sense where I can fit it in a box. Go to 1 Samuel 15, last passage, and then we'll go back to Romans. 1 Samuel 15, back in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 15. I think this is it. Yeah, 1 Samuel 15. If you can make sense of this, help me out. I'll take the mic off. You can teach for a little bit. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now, listen to verse 3, 1 Samuel 15, verse 3. Now, he says, Samuel says to Saul from God, Go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and don't spare him. Okay, so we get that, right? Amalek is an evil person and God's justice is being exacted on Amalek. Does anyone, is anyone, does anyone not see that, right? And so if we, if the passage stopped there, all of us would say, yay God, thank you for bringing justice to an evil man, right? But the passage doesn't stop there. And do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. I don't know what translation you're reading, but it's not going to say something too far off from that. And even if you have the most modern translation, it would read something like this. Kill them all. And guys, I don't know if you're... You know, if you have like uh, 2000 BC warfare, like if you're a historian, it wasn't clean. It wasn't, you know, three cocktail drugs and, and put you to sleep and your heart stops. Kill them all by the sword. Man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, donkey. Kill them all. From God. Through Samuel to Saul, to the Israelites. Kill them all. Now guys, if that doesn't bring some amount, some degree of confusion, what will? Can, I mean, can I just, can we just play this out for a second? You're an Amalekite and you're um, six months old. What have you done? What have you accomplished? By association, guess what's about to happen to you? You're, you're going to get a sword run through you. You're a three-year-old toddler with a big A on your jersey. You're about to get your head cut off. From God, through Samuel, to Saul. How does that make sense? No, 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 no. I'm asking the question. No, I got a question. You don't get to ask the question. <laughs> so what happens to the people that God kills? Um, so I'm going to answer that by saying that's a tangent. And we'll go off for just a, a moment. And I say that, well, 
I guess, and I didn't, that wasn't a plant. I didn't plant him there. Go back to Romans 9. This is why, guys, I, this is why I read Romans 9 a little different. And I'm not saying, you know, this is Lynn V. Gregg here or something like that. I'm just saying that when I get to Romans 9, after having read things like I just read, I can read it and answer that question. You're not going to like the answer, but I can answer the question. What's my answer? God's sovereign. I have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Period. In other words, guys, Romans 9 for me is varsity. Romans 9 for me, if you're not ready for varsity, if you're still on JV or freshman ball, then yeah, you're going to really fight Romans 9. Because all Paul, in my opinion, says is he has mercy on whom he's going to have mercy. And apparently, in 1 Samuel 15, guess who he didn't have mercy on? Anyone associated with Amalek. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. And I'm probably speaking way out of turn here. But that's how I answer the question. Because isn't it a fair question? I think it's a very fair question. And one answer is, what I'm suggesting is, one answer is... Romans chapter 9. That's one possibility. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. Period. I mean, that's... It, I want to I go to... I honestly want to get to Romans 10. But if you read through Romans 9, 9 again, Paul's making very declarative statements here. He's leaving very little, little wiggle room, is he not? He's like a lawyer building a case, guys. And he says, this equals this. And because of this... This is the conclusion, period. Not, therefore, not if you have questions about it. In my opinion, I think Paul wrote Romans 9, and he got done with Romans 9, and he thought to himself, this is going to really wreck some people. But God, how else can I explain your sovereignty? I don't know how else to do it where everyone's happy. Even if you take the position that God's speaking just to the, the nation of Israel here, which is fine, right? Near context, he's speaking just to the nation of Israel. Who did God choose? Which nation did he choose? The nation of Israel. Guys, uh, you know, I don't want to be a wet blanket here, but guess what? There were more nations than the nation of Israel. Read... Let's recall Exodus. When they get out and wander for 40 years, and then you work your way into Joshua, guess what Joshua was told to do? Go where? Where's, where was Joshua commissioned to go? Promised land. Guess what? who was in the promised land? All the other ites. Right? Malachites and Hittites and Jebusites and all the other ites, Canaanites. And what did God tell Joshua to do? Get rid of them all. In fact, if you were to like marry an ite, you brought sin upon the nation of Israel. You died. It wasn't like, well, I'm okay with them. I just prefer you. It was, in my opinion, 
Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Now, you could argue, pick the Ninevites, for instance. Well, they were such an evil people. Really? Do you know the nation of Israel? (laughs) Bunch of knuckleheads. The worst kids that you could have as God was the nation of Israel. Griping all the time. There had to have been a better nation than the nation of Israel. So why did God choose the nation of Israel? Because his covenant with Abraham. Genesis 15. Because God said, this is the group I'm going to love. Period. And guys, that's for me anyway, what it does for me is it just allows me to go to bed at night with two big thoughts. One is, I don't get you. I'm glad I don't get you. And that way now I can have a right relationship with you because I'm not you. I can't figure you out, God. I don't know why you do the things you do all the time. And I rest in your sovereignty. Somebody answer for me how prayer works and I'll, I'll buy you a house. How, how does prayer work in God's sovereign will? That God has a will that's been determined before we ever came about. And yet my prayers can affect what happens to people in real time. Anyway, yeah. Um, But it's, guys, if that doesn't draw you into God's word, if that frustrates you, I'm sorry. Man, I love that. I love that I don't get the end of barely any chapter, let alone the entire Bible and close it and think, what's next? Check, read the Bible, what's next? But we go back over and over and over and over and over again. It's a beautiful book in that sense. It's so complex, isn't it? And so I love the fact that Lynn said, hey, here's what I think Romans 9 is. And I love the fact that I can come up here and say, hey, here's what I think Romans 9 is. And you get to say, hey, here's what I think Romans 9 is. And, and the litmus is this, guys, honestly, the litmus, because I've, I've blown this. 20 years ago, I was not a big fan of this, but now I am. We all get to go to heaven. And we all can't be right. So someone's right. And I can't wait to give Lynn a hard time in heaven. <laughs> He'll have his big mountain of rewards, and, but I'll still give him a hard time. I say all that because this is where I think it gets tricky. If I believe that God has mercy on whom he has mercy and he will call unto himself whom he wants to call, then, then, then we've settled kind of, we can do church now. We can come, we can gather, we can fellowship, we can worship and sing. And that's just kind of our thing. That's what we do. But what if, In his plan, part of that plan was, you don't know whom I've called. So you have a job to do. And that job is to go tell people about me. And guess what, children? I'm going to hold you accountable to that. 
So when you die, because one thing I know about heaven, guys, is guess what we're not going to do in heaven? Evangelize. You don't have to knock on anyone's mansion in heaven. Hey, would you like to know Jesus? I know Jesus. This is the only place you and I have to evangelize. Do you realize that? This is the only place you and I have to be the gospel of peace, to be the gospel of our feet are the gospel of good tidings to people who need to know Jesus. And the question is this, who needs to know Jesus? And your answer, my Calvinists in here, your answer better not be the elect. Your answer better be the whole world needs to know Jesus. That needs to be the answer. Jesus said to Peter, cast your nets out how far? Cast your nets out wide. Let me handle what kind of fish come in. You do the casting. So Romans chapter 10, though again, Paul is writing to the Jews here, kind of just, this is an in-your-face chapter with let me tell you how stingy you are because the gospel needs to go out to everyone, including the Gentiles. And you and I can be the messengers, is what I'm reading. Go to Romans 10. And if you have a question again, raise your hand and, and we can chat. Romans chapter 10. Anyone ever had something happen in their life that um, was a curveball you weren't planning on? Let me ask you this. When that happened, were you able to use it for his glory? After the questioning, after the confusion, after the wrestling through it, were you able to use it for his glory? Isn't it amazing that when we're given this assignment, which we're about to read here, that God uses the stuff in your life as a powerful opening to share the good news with people? Don't ever discount that, guys. If you're confused about God's sovereignty, which you should be, and something happens to you which you didn't feel like should be a part of God's plan, please don't discount the fact that God may be setting you up to speak to a people group that you wouldn't even have imagined speaking to. Had it not been for, now you have the credibility to get into that people group. And that people group can be anything. You could have been stricken down with some disease. And now you can speak very candidly with people struggling with the same affliction. Uh, I lost my wife six years ago. I can speak to widows. I know what it's like to be a widow. I'm remarried now. I know what it's like to be in a blended family. So we can chat. I was, my parents were divorced when I was growing up. I know what it's like to be raised by a single. I mean, you know, it goes on and on. And please, please, please don't discount that. When those tragedies happen or those bad things happen, could we, could we go varsity here for a second and say, God, I don't want, I didn't want this to happen. I didn't ask for this to happen. And then in a real act of maturity in our pain, could we say, but God, if you could, if you want to, if this could help somehow in some just bizarre way, souls could come into the kingdom because I would have an open door to talk to people, to you be the glory. And we could go around the room, I know we could, and share stories of how that's happened. I never imagined being in front of these people, but all of a sudden, Greg, here I am talking to these people and we have the same kind of background, same kind of story. And all of a sudden they asked me where I went to church. Boom, there it is. 
So when we get to the point of questioning God's sovereignty, maybe we need to take a step back and just say, God, I don't get it, and maybe I never will. But that doesn't mean I doubt you. Okay? With that said, the reason I say that is because God says this to you then. Uh, I think Lynn left off in four or five. Here we go. But what does it say then, verse 8? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. What does it take to get saved? Whether you believe in election or free will, what does it take to get saved? What does it take? What's the message we're speaking to people? What what are the non-negotiables? Okay? We're sinners in need of a Savior. What else? Belief. Okay, belief in what? In Christ. In Christ for what? The forgiveness of my sins. Let me ask you this. Do I need to believe that Jesus is God to go to heaven? What say you? Yes? Do you see that in the passage? It's a trick question, actually. It is in the passage. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Do you know what the word there is in the Greek? Um, The word is kurios. And in the Septuagint, the Greek uh, understanding, the Greek writings of the Old Testament, that is the word for, in Hebrew, is the word for Yahweh. So Paul, speaking to which audience? Jewish audience. He says to them that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and when they heard that, guys, they knew exactly what he meant. He meant you need to confess Jesus as what? God. Why is that important? Why is that an important message for us today? Why not just preach Jesus as Savior? The one who hung on the cross, Messiah. Why is it critical that you and I give him credit for deity? Why do you think? Why is that important? Okay, because you can't get to God except through Jesus, okay? But, but what is so vital about me claiming Jesus as God? Okay, God's sovereign and God saved us. And if Jesus is God, what part did Jesus play? Jesus saved us. He's God incarnate. Is this a major doctrinal issue? I I was told once a long, long time ago, take a bullet for the majors, let the minors go. Infant baptism, major or minor? Minor. 
Guys, if, you're, if you want your kids sprinkled, dunked, immersed, washed over, great. If you don't, I prefer adult baptism. I'm not taking a bullet for that. But Jesus being God, you need to take a bullet for that, Christian. You need to. Not because I'm telling you to, but because Jesus claims deity. Guys, it's what sets Jesus apart from every other religious leader back in his day and moving forward. Is his claim to be God. Now, if he claims to be God, what does he need to do? If Jesus claims anything, what does he need to do? He needs to prove it. But if he does prove it, what does that leave us with? I either accept it or I reject it. Uh, questions back here and here. Because guys, other world religions, and I can give you a couple, guess what they've done? Guess what, who they've made Jesus out to be? Prophet, good teacher. Some even say he hung on the cross as the son of God. Guess what's exclusive to Christianity? Jesus being God. You got to take a bullet for it. You have to. He, that's who he is. He's God in the flesh. Uh, here and then back here. He saved our sins. He saved us from our sins. Amen. He did. It's exactly right. No, you got it. I was just going to say that, you know, it's because if he's not God, he could just been a, another man. And therefore, any other man could come and claim what he claimed and yeah. do what he did. And it's just another guy. So Absolutely. it has to be that, you know, that eternal entity. And why was this radical for the Jews? What did the Jews believe? What kind of theism? Monotheistic, right? Religiously monotheistic. Guess who else is religiously monotheistic in our day and age today? Muslims. Guess who's somewhat of a hybrid of polytheism and monotheism? I say that carefully. Uh, not Catholics. Mormons. Guess who's else religiously monotheistic? Jehovah's Witnesses. The, so guys, here, word of advice. Can I give you one? When you get the knock on the door from either missionaries or Jehovah's Witnesses, what do you need to live and die in? Jesus being God. You don't need to go to the history. You don't need to attack Joseph Smith. You don't need to attack the watchtower. You need to just simply ask them, do you believe Jesus is God? No, I do not. Great. We need to have a conversation then. We're the only religion that believes Jesus is God. And it's right here in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with a heart man believes, with a mouth he confesses. Now, what I think Paul did here, brilliantly, he says, with a mouth man believes, and with a, with his heart, or with a mouth, yeah, with a heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With a mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Do I need to confess Jesus as my Lord to be saved? 
read the passage again because it's a little tricky here. With for with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. Am I made righteous by believing in with my heart? Yes, that seems seems to be what he says here, right? So why do I need to confess Jesus with my mouth, resulting in salvation? In other words, what is Paul trying to pull us out of? What kind of Christianity? Which is kind of pervasive in our society today. What does society want you to do with your Christianity? Keep it to yourself. Oh, Greg, I'm so glad you're a Christian, just not in, not here. Do your little Christian thing over here in the corner. Don't make it public. Paul says... With the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. In other words, do you see that these two things are intricately connected? Guys, the great message we have to tell people is, please, if you come to know Jesus Christ, guess what's going to happen? Your life's going to be changed forever. God's going to set you up on an adventure to follow him, be a part of his will, and you're going to love it. Not going to be easy, but you're going to love it. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to tell others about it. This whole thing, guys, I don't know. I went to a church for a long time and the, 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 the saying at the end was like this. Um, and you've probably been to these churches. Hey, uh, listen, if you need to, you know, we're going to pray now. So with every, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you want to know Jesus Christ. And then what do I ask you to do? Raise your hand. But before I tell you to raise your hand, what do I tell everyone to do? Keep your eyes shut. Heads down. Because someone's about to proclaim Jesus as their Savior, and we don't want anyone to know? What? (laughs) Now, don't crucify the pastors that do that. Do you know why they do that? Because what day and age do we live in? Yeah, we live in anonymity. God forbid we should have you publicly proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ. And so we want to do it nice and quiet, nice and easy. And guys, sometimes I think the the message sent is you can make Christ a part of your private life that no one needs to know about. Paul says in Romans 10, with the heart you believe and with the mouth you confess resulting in salvation. How is that private? Bigger question. Why should that be private? What are you ashamed of? Go back to Romans 1. Whenever you guys started Romans, what did Paul say in Romans 1.16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The times I'm silent is the times I'm ashamed of anything. The times I don't talk about the sin in my life is because I'm ashamed of it. The times that I don't want you to know something that's, that's private is be, typically because I need it to be kept private. I don't want to risk it becoming public. That's not our faith, guys, is it? Our faith is all about being public. So why aren't we more public with our faith? And the simple answer is, honestly, at least in my life, I fear man more than I fear God. I fear my hairdresser more than I fear God. And it's a short conversation, right? I mean, it takes like two seconds. So if I don't start in right at the very beginning, forget it. I fear the person at the bank more than I fear God. I fear the person checking me out at Fry's more than I fear God. I fear my neighbors more than I fear God. I fear my kids' friends more than I fear God. 
And that's why I don't invite them to church. That's why I don't invite them to small group. That's why I don't share the gospel with them. I fear what they will say, what they'll think. They'll reject me. And I fear that more than I fear the passages we just read about a sovereign God. How did we get there? Satan's doing his job, isn't he? When he keeps us from fearing God. And I say he's doing his job because God has given you and me a job to do. He's, we're the only ones he gave this to. He didn't give it to angels. He didn't give it to animals. He didn't give it to rocks. He gave it to us. And he didn't give it to everyone, guys. He gave it to his kids. Which really is about one-seventh of the world's population. He gave you and me the unbelievable opportunity and honor to share the good news with six-sevenths of the world's population. And you don't have to go very far, do you? You just need to be aware of that. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Listen to this. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. To me, that's an, a great announcement for universal um, gospel preaching. You don't have to look for people. You just need to speak the word of God. And then my persuasion is whom God calls, he calls. And even if your persuasion isn't that, even if you believe, well, you know, Joe here has the same right as Sam does, great. Do both Joe and Sam, have they heard the good news from you? Don't be picky with your, who you share the gospel with. Do you realize this, guys? Do you realize that there is a number that is attached to you and to me as to how many people we've told the good news to? There's a number. You could quantify it. Like, there's a number to be quantified as to how many people you've shared the good news with. Well, Greg, you don't understand because I'm more of an action person. I share with my lifestyle. Really? But, but what does that even mean? Like, honestly, I didn't lie today. Hope someone came to know Jesus. Okay, I get it, I guess. I'll be surprised, guys, honestly. I'll be very surprised if someone meets me in heaven and says, because you were kind today, when you were at the restaurant, I waited on you, and you gave me 20%, and you were kind to me. I became a believer. Praise God. Like, I need to hear that story. But I do know this. My actions don't win someone to the Lord. What wins someone to the Lord? The gospel. Nobody comes to know Jesus because you were a good person. They come to know Jesus because you were a good person and somebody, you or somebody else, shared the gospel with them. Nobody should bow before the cross at a church service or at a camp or somewhere else and say, God, thank you so much that Sandy was so nice to me. And for that reason, I proclaim Christianity as my faith. That doesn't even make sense. But what that person needs to do is repent of their sins and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, right? Now, could Sandy's actions have helped along the way? Absolutely. 
But don't we as a body of Christ today sometimes lean too much on our actions? And if we're really bold, we'll get the gear, the t-shirt, the bumper stickers. Because God, you don't really expect me to actually talk to somebody. So let the, let the message be proclaimed on my car or on my shirt. Or I got, I got posters all over my house. The problem is I don't have any non-Christians that come in my house. So that's kind of a waste. Well, my kids are learning the word of God. Well, good for you. This is about sharing the good news with people who need to hear it. Because guys, as we talked about in this Revelation series, where are people headed? Heaven or hell and where what stands between them by way of the message you and I have to give them that's it that's the beauty of the gospel and that's the importance of the gospel yeah yeah so something just hit a chord there as you were you were saying all that is that I was kind of remembering back to when we were studying acts right it's always miracle Spread the gospel, you know. Something happens, spread the good news. And yeah. It's like I got the, I got the bumper sticker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody comes up and talks to me. It's like, okay, well, that's my in. And right. That's how we should be using. Absolutely. It than like, oh, hey, I just have a Bible sitting on my desk. If somebody asks me about it while I'm at work, like, take the two seconds and let them know, and maybe that's all that they needed. So, exactly. Yeah. So that's ab- where it struck a chord with me. That's absolutely. Just, listen, if you need, listen, if this is your prop at work. Praise God. Like, if you need to, like, somehow position it, you know, to get the most traffic, maybe hold it up like this or something, you know, and... But God forbid, honestly, God forbid, if we think that's enough. If we think that's what, you know, and oh well, nobody came knocking on my door today or my cubicle today, God. I had my Bible out. Nobody bit. So I'm good. That was a great day of, no. Um, At some point, guys, we got to be bold. At some point, we have to say to the hairdresser, well, the reason I'm getting my hair done is because I'm going to teach the mind. Do you know what the mind is? Of course you don't. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And it's bold to be in those conversations. But I got to be honest with you guys. The times in my life where I have been... um, invigorated, where everything around me seemed to stop, were the moments where I was talking about eternal things with somebody. And praise God, there have been quite a few of them. And I don't want to stop anytime soon. Scary? Absolutely. Out of my mind. Still fear man? Yeah, I still do. But thank God for God's grace that he gives us yet one more chance to get up and do it again. And guys, I'm still here. Nobody's ever like gotten violent with me. Nobody's ever kicked me out of their house. Nobody has ever fired me. Nobody has ever told me to get off the plane. I think it's coming, honestly. I do. I think persecution's coming in a, in a very, very severe way. But not now. Not right now. Do you know that the next generation of believers are teenagers? Those of you who have teenagers or grandkids or... They are becoming the most theologically deficient and biblically illiterate generation that we've had yet in Christendom. The irony is what? 
They have the most resources, the most access to God's word, but they're the most biblically illiterate. It's coming where their faith is going to be put on test. But right now, honestly, for you and for me, we're the ones who need to be proactive. Watch this. How shall they preach? I'm sorry, verse 14. How then shall they call upon him whom they haven't believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? Just, excuse me, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they didn't all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying here, listen, if you think you're going to hit a home run every time you share the good news, good luck. Isaiah struck out. I struck out. Guess who also struck out? Yeah, when in doubt, just always answer Jesus. Honestly, just always answer Jesus. Jesus struck out, guys. So if you think you're going into this thing batting a thousand, oh my goodness. You will strike out more times than you win. You'll strike out more times than you get someone to even sniff at. Well, what are you talking about? I'm kind of interested. You'll get rejected. You'll get politely declined. You'll get some people in your face. Let me just come real practically. How do you even get started in this conversation? Like, how can you even talk to someone about the good news? Because can you see from Romans 10? It is our assignment to share the good news. You and I are the preachers of the day. Acts 1.8, Matthew 28. Go therefore, start here, branch out, branch out a little further, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them all that I've commanded you. And guess what, children? I'm right there with you. It's a no-lose. You get the win when you see people spiritually interested. You get full. Your life is like, I can't believe you let me do this, God. And I'm with you. And maybe some of them will actually come and believe. Do you realize when Jesus said the parable of the sower, I dropped seeds, right? I put seeds in the ground. Do you know in that parable, how many actually became believers, if you will? What percentage? What, what group became the believers that, the, that it took, the seed took, and, and up came good, good fruit? It was the last seed, wasn't it? How many seeds did he drop? Or how many groups of people, basically? Four. Which means 75% didn't take. 25%, a fourth it took. You got to be in this for the long haul, guys. So practically, here's how, here's how I do it. And I'm not saying it's great, but it helps me, honestly. I've used this. I can't tell you how many times I've used this. And I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Because it gets someone talking about themselves. And if I've learned one thing, we love to talk about ourselves. Even about spiritual things. We love it. James Kennedy, uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian down in Florida. He created Evangelism Explosion. Anyone hear that? Evangelism Explosion. I was part of a church, the same church that had people pray with their heads down and eyes closed, which I'm not a big fan of. What I was a big fan of was they did EE, Evangelism Explosion. Now the method was kind of a little, little, little out there. We would get contact cards from people. Remember doing this morning? We get contact cards from people and you'd go visit them 
at dinner time during the week unannounced. Oh, man. And that was purposeful. So that they couldn't go anywhere. You call someone, hey, you visited, you know, XYZ Church. Thanks for visiting last week or two weeks ago or sometimes a month ago. We'd like to stop by. You know you're going to get every excuse in the book. No, this isn't a good time. No, I'm, you know, having, you know, something done. And so you show up unannounced during dinner time. They got nowhere to go. So we would. Thanks for coming. David's probably going to tick them banging on his drums. Thanks for coming. Appreciate, uh, you know, or thanks for coming to our church. Appreciate you coming. And then you stand in the doorway. And you put the ownership on them to either kick you out or let you in. And most people come to find out are too weak to kick you out. So they let you in. And when I got to talking to them, you always go in pairs and stuff. And But when I got to talking to them, we had great conversations. But we always tried to end the conversation like this. And the way I did, I did the first question I did a little differently. But it was something along the lines of this. Let me ask you a question. On a percentage scale of 0 to 100... If you were to die tonight, what percentage on a zero to a hundred, hundred, 100% sure, zero, zero percent sure, do you believe you would go to a place called heaven? And that's an easy question, isn't it? It gets people focused on themselves, thinking about themselves. You know what the answer most often I got was? What do you think the answer I got most often? Yeah, it wasn't a hundred. Because people aren't prideful. But I'm not going to go with 100. But guess what they also didn't go with? They didn't even go below 50. It was always, almost always between 70 and 80%. It was amazing. Which I loved. I loved the fact that it wasn't 100. Anytime someone answers anything less than 100, guess what you have an opportunity to do? Share the gospel. So the minute they gave a number that wasn't a hundred, just salivated. Because they didn't know what was coming, but I did. So the second question. Great, 82%. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? It's my heaven. With your 82%, what would you tell him? I'm just curious. What would you tell him? Undoubtedly. What was the answer people would give me? Because I'm a good person. And guys, now we're into a fascinating conversation about works versus faith. And there's not enough works you can do to get into heaven. And before I know it, I'm introducing the good news of Jesus Christ to them. Off of two questions that they didn't mind answering. I would walk up and down ASU's campus. I went to school there. And then even after I went to school there, I'd go there on my days off of work. I'd just walk up and down the campus looking for people just sitting on the lawn. And I'd come up to them and I'd just ask them, hey, I'm just curious. I'm taking a survey, which I was. It was my survey. It was unofficial. I wasn't publishing it. I'm taking a survey of the religious temperature here in Tempe. I wonder if you had a couple minutes to answer five questions. Whatever, dude. Uh, do you go to a church? No. Um, are, are, have you ever been a part of the church? Yes or no? Pro- usually yes. I was, you know, part of my upbringing. Um, I can't remember what the third question was, but the fourth and fifth question were always these two questions. Oh, the third question was this one. The fourth one was this one. And the fifth one was this. 
If I could tell you how you could be 100% sure, not just 82, but 100% sure, would you be interested in that? That I could tell you right now how you could be 100% sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. Would you be interested in that? And guys, I can't tell you how many people said, I guess I would be interested in that. Why wouldn't you? And now we're into a fascinating discussion about the gospel. I don't do it to get points. I don't do it to, to have stories to tell. I do it, I think, because God gives me an assignment. Seems to be pretty clear here in Romans 10. The Jews missed the assignment. I think Paul's admonition to them in Romans 10 is, you missed coming out of the back half of Romans 9 and then into Romans 10. He's saying, you missed. But just because you missed the assignment doesn't mean God's word isn't going to go out to the Gentiles. It's going out, whether you like it or not. My encouragement to you is, are you going to get in on it? Which means first, for the Jews, you've got to come to believe this. And the sad thing is, is you are so steeped in the law, you can't see a foot in front of you. So now the message is going to go out, the good news the, of good glad tidings is going to go out, regardless of whether you want it to or not. Now, here's what, I can't remember who's speaking next week, but here's what they're going to come with you next week. Here's how cool God is. Even though God is really kind of disciplining Israel right here, guess what he does in chapter 11? He says, I'm going to keep a little bit of you for myself. There will be a remnant of Israel that I will, I've promised, Abrahamic covenant, I've promised it since the beginning of time. I will be faithful to that promise. And then in chapter 12, we'll get back to those of you who know Jesus how do I live in such a way where my words and my actions share the good news with people? A call to surrender, if you will, the Lordship of Christ. We're out of time. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for tonight. God, thanks so much for your word. I love, love, love that we can dialogue and have just good discussion about who you are, what our responsibilities are. I don't know why, Father, honestly, I don't know why you uh, selected your children to be the messengers of the good news. I, I, I think it's radical. I think it's powerful. I think it's empowering that people here tonight get to leave and look for opportunities to bring people to the faith. What a, what a better way to live with that responsibility. So God, my, my cry for us tonight, I guess, is that we'd be faithful to that. That you would use Pastor Lynn and use the staff here and to keep doing what they're doing and to share this great news of Jesus Christ with people. Hundreds of people come to know Jesus every year through this ministry. And that's an exciting place to be. But God, sometimes I feel like we allow the staff to do all the work. That we don't take it upon ourselves to be ambassadors for you. So maybe this could be a, a turning point for some of us tonight. Maybe some of us tonight could leave here knowing that the responsibility falls in my lap as much as it does Pastor Lynn's lap. And when we lock arms and go forward as a small but powerful community, lives will be changed. And God, we pray that you would receive all the glory for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.